Hello everyone. Infertility is a much bigger problem than many people realise. About one in seven couples in this country have difficulty having children. That's approximately three and a half million people. Now that doesn't mean one in every seven is infertile. Some of these couples achieve pregnancy naturally, but quite a few uh, just won't. You might be surprised to learn that it's the most common reason given for a woman of childbearing age to see their doctor. Trying to decide who should have fertility treatment is really difficult. Arguments have occurred for a number of reasons. So some people think that all infertile couples should be allowed one treatment paid for by the NHS. The trouble is that the chance of success after the first treatment is only about 10%. It does increase with each treatment though. IVF is expensive. It costs, I mean, when we're talking as a minimum here, at least 3000 for the treatment itself, plus the extra cost for the consultation with the doctors, the drugs, the tests themselves. Freezing embryos for further attempts at IVF will also cost you more. Now, couples may need to try IVF several times, and each attempt we call a cycle, before it actually works, before it's successful. About 25% of IVF treatments are funded by the NHS. Only women between the ages of 23 and 39 currently can get one free cycle on uh, the National Health Service. Doctors have to make decisions about who to treat all the time. Really, I mean, it's, it's quite an emotive subject. And if you imagine the people in charge, they're having to balance moral issues, risks, benefits. So before I talk about the reasons why people might be infertile, and what can be done to help, let's just first discuss what IVF actually entails. So in vitro is Latin for in glass. So IVF, in vitro fertilization, basically means fertilization that takes place outside of the body, in lab glassware, basically. The first one of six key steps involves suppressing the menstrual cycle with medication. Once that's complete, the mother's then given hormones to stimulate the growth of several of her eggs. Usually mothers are asked to undergo uh, ultrasound scans just to check that the eggs are developing properly. The eggs are then collected from the mother and they're fertilised by sperm from the father in the petri dish. Then those fertilised eggs will develop into embryos and at the stage when they're just a tiny ball of cells, which scientifically we refer to as a blastocyst, one or two of the embryos are then inserted into the mother's uterus. The problem is, though, that IVF doesn't always result in a pregnancy. So counselling is often offered to those undergoing the procedure, and understandably so. I mean, given the sheer physical and emotional demands of it, it really does take its toll on a person. Now, with any medical treatment, there are inevitably side effects. Some manageable, like headaches. Some much more worrying. About 20% of IVF births are twins, compared with about one and a, one and a quarter, 1.25% of normal births, and 0.5%, half percent, are triplets. Now, the number of triplets was much higher about 20, about 15 to 20 years ago, because more embryos were implanted at the same time. But we've since learned multiple births are the biggest risk of IVF for both the mother and uh, her babies. They're more likely to result in premature births, 
miscarriages and even long-term disability and just general ill health. An ectopic pregnancy might occur when uh, the embryo implants into the oviducts or fallopian tubes instead of the actual uterine lining. Interestingly, interestingly, there's something called OHSS or another name is ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Now this is what we call it when too many eggs develop in the ovaries at one specific time. Now in a separate podcast I'll be speaking about egg development, explaining the sequence of events that occur in the menstrual cycle itself and how the body controls it hormonally. So what can cause infertility and more importantly what can we do today to help those who suffer from it as a result? I think the easiest way to probably break this down is to focus on issues affecting females and then to look at those that affect males. So let's start the top. Endometriosis. Endometriosis is a surprisingly common condition where the uterus lining, properly known as the endometrium, grows outside of the uterus. In fact, there are pieces of tissue that can be found in many different areas rather, of the body including the ovaries and uh, the fallopian tubes, the lining of the inside of the abdomen, or even the bowel or bladder. It's thought that around uh, 2 million women in the UK are affected, most of which get diagnosed between the ages roughly of about 25 and 40. Although having said that, um, a lot of clinicians mis- uh, misdiagnose it. Because the symptoms, the symptoms of endometriosis do overlap with other conditions. It's quite hard to get a true differential diagnosis. Endometriosis is rare in women who've been through the menopause. Now, the causes of this condition, they're not really fully known, but there are several theories out there. The most widely accepted one is that the womb lining doesn't leave the body properly during a period, and it embeds itself onto the organs uh, of the pelvis. That whole phenomenon is what we call retrograde menstruation. So how do we treat this condition? Well, patches of endometriosis tissue can be surgically removed and they can improve the symptoms uh, overall and fertility. Overall, though, there is no real cure for it right now. There isn't like uh, many other causes of fertility it's quite this this really isn't like many of the other ones the treatment options for this for endometriosis are far more limited but thankfully though our understanding about endometriosis is getting better any condition usually hormonal that prevents the release of a mature egg from the ovary including the menopause we class as an ovulatory problem now should this be the case should this be the cause of the infertility, then ovulation-stimulating drugs such as uh, clomiphene and follicle-stimulating hormone are used in conjunction with IVF. So let's just uh, look at follicle-stimulating hormone, or FSH. So FSH is one of the gonadotrophic hormones, we call it. So that's gonadotrophic hormones. The other one being luteinizing hormone, or LH for short. Now both are released by the pituitary gland into the bloodstream. Follicle-stimulating hormone is is one of the hormones essential to pubertal development and the function of women's ovaries and, in fact, in men's testes. In women, this hormone stimulates the growth of what we call an ovarian follicle in the ovary before the release of an egg from one follicle at the point of ovulation. 
in men, interestingly, follicle-stimulating hormone acts on what we call the Sertoli cells of the testicles, and that will stimulate prim, p- sperm production. And there's a clinical name for that, and we call that spermatogenesis. Now, for many women, infertility can simply be down to just low levels of follicle-stimulating hormone. Sometimes, though, the eggs themselves may just be of poor quality. Eggs that become damaged or have developed chromosomal abnormalities can't last the full pregnancy, typically. This is it's usually an age-related issue. Egg donation and surrogacy are really the suggested options for women who find themselves in this situation. And again, in other podcasts, I talk about the formation of tumours and what we define as cancer. Now, infertility can be cancer-related also. The woman is unable to release an egg because maybe she's had a cancerous ovary or the ovaries, both ovaries, removed physically. The woman may very well have tried chemo and radiotherapy, but often surgical excision of the tumour is the only viable option. Ovary transplants are possible using uh, a woman's own ovary tissue, but they would have to have been taken before any possible treatment for cancer had happened. The ovaries contain many small uh, cysts or growths that can cause hormonal imbalances and irregular egg release. Now, for sufferers of what we call polycystic ovary syndrome, they might find that they have irregular periods, excess levels of androgen, which is a male hormone, weight gain, and even excessive hair growth. Now, the effects of this are fairly common, uh, and it's a, it's a really common condition, and the, the effects are, um, how would say, widespread. But ultimately, it can prevent the egg from being released, and it can render a person infertile. So these small little cysts that really demark this polycystic ovary syndrome can cause infertility. And as I said, it is a fairly common condition. Now, currently, we don't have any adequate forms of treatment for this. It seems like this is a bit of a a common thread so far, this idea of not really having any great treatment for it. But what, what if the problem doesn't lie with the eggs? But what if the problem actually lies with a very tube that they're meant to travel down? So the eggs might be actually fine, but what if the tubes, what if the fallopian tubes are the oviducts? So the two names, they both mean the same thing. What if there's a problem there? Blocked or damaged fallopian tubes can prevent any eggs getting to the uterus and sperm getting to the egg. It's a very clear-cut cause of infertility, you could say. Surgery would be needed to open the fallopian tubes up, and if surgery fails, then once again, you're looking at going down the IVF route. So what about men? What could be the reason as to why a male might be rendered infertile? Well, presuming that there aren't any issues with the mechanics of sexual reproduction, it most likely is down to a problem with the sperm cells themselves, or the sperm ducts which carry the sperm cells out of the body. So there could be a low sperm count, even no sperm count. There could be very poor sperm motility, even abnormally shaped sperm. Now, a low sperm count, also called oligozoospermia, that's a, that's a more technical name for it. So a low sperm count is where a man has fewer than about 15 million sperm per millimetre of, or per milliliter rather, of semen ejected. 
Now, for those that have this uh, low sperm count, treatments typically include fertility drugs, um, sperm donation, it's possible, even artificial insemination, or sperm injections directly into the egg. It saves having to wait until natural fertilization occurs, I guess. There is something called artificial insemination by donor, and that's shortened to AID, artificial insemination by donor. Now, that's a technique used to help couples conceive when there is a problem with the man's sperm. Sperm from a donor this time is obtained from a sperm bank, and it's inserted into the woman's uterus close to the time of ovulation. So here's an interesting fact for you. Would you guess that 10% of women actually have immune reactions to sperm and it causes them to produce antibodies that kill sperm how would you possibly begin to treat this this almost like allergic reaction to them well the answer is sperm washing it sounds a, a, a bit odd but sperm washing is the answer now when i talk about sperm washing immunosuppressive or immune weakening drugs can be given to women but many doctors don't overly recommend them just as there may be issues with the fallopian tubes, so too could there be a problem with the actual sperm ducts. So blocked or damaged sperm ducts could prevent sperm just entering the woman, full stop. And again, invasive surgery can be performed uh, as a form of treatment. But having said that, that could lead to further penis complications. So again, it's recommended, but with caution. Hormone imbalances in men can cause infertility, just as with women, hormone therapy and or targeted treatment if there's a pre-existing hormone-related disease is the best form of treatment. There's also a number of factors that can affect fertility in both men and women. Now, you might be able to guess many of these. These include age, so female fertility and to a lesser extent male fertility decline with age. In women, the biggest decrease in fertility begins during the sort of mid-30s. Weight. Being overweight or obese or having a BMI of 30, we say roughly 30 or over, can reduce fertility. In women, being overweight or severely underweight can affect ovulation. STIs, sexually transmitted infections. Several of these, several infections, including chlamydia, can affect fertility. Even smoking. Smoking can affect fertility in both sexes. Smoking, and that includes passive smoking, can affect a woman's chance of conceiving. While in men, there's an association between smoking and reduced semen quality. For women planning to get pregnant, the safest approach is not to drink alcohol at all and keep the risks to a potential baby to a minimum. And for men, drinking too much alcohol can affect the quality, again, the quality of the actual sperm. The chief medical officers uh, for the UK recommend that men and women should drink no more than 14 units of alcohol a week. And that should be spread evenly over three days or more. Now let's think about environmental factors because they too are at play here. Now exposure, we found that exposure to certain pesticides, solvents and metals it's been shown to affect fertility, particularly particularly in men. And one that I don't think any of us can avoid, stress. It can affect a relationship with a partner. It can cause a loss in libido or sex drive. At the very least, it will affect ovulation and sperm production. 
I think the key thing to take away from all of this is that infertility is a common problem. It's a multifaceted problem with so many possible causes and risk factors. So I think the key thing for many of us is quite simply just a greater awareness. Thank you everyone for listening.